Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, yea, Greetings to all of you today. It is, it is wonderful to travel this many hours away from where I live and find myself in a place where people love the Lord, love each other, love the precious things of God like we do. It's very encouraging. We gather together in a little assembly of believers and sometimes you're there and you sort of feel like maybe you're the ones, you know, the only ones that think this way. And uh, oftentimes we, we, say, we say either the Apostles or the Nicene Creed, and um, when we do, we stop and we bring greetings from maybe your church, maybe another church, and I'll say greetings from Foothills Assembly, and I'll tell about what's going on in your church. Uh, so today I'd like to bring you greetings from Foundation Church uh, there in the outskirts of Columbus, Ohio, uh, where people know your names, and people pray for you, and people love you, and where they are singing the praises of God, and we are doing so in the midst of, uh, of mourning, really. One of our dear sisters that we love so very much, and I'm sure you guys know her, maybe you've prayed for her, uh, but a mother of nine uh, with a six-month baby uh, diagnosed with uh, brain cancer, and uh, we are in the very last few weeks of her life, and uh, we have done everything we can do, uh, but it seems that the Lord is... Uh, gently taking her from us. And so the Bible says when one of us suffers, we all suffer together. And so we would, uh, we would invite you to suffer with us a little bit for the loss of our dear sister Kirsten. She's not gone yet, so we'll go home and we'll get to hold her hand and, and kiss her face and be with her and her children as they mourn. And I, I know that's not a traditional way the visiting preacher would get up. But uh, we are not... I'm not here to preach a sermon so you go away and you're saying, wow, what a great preacher that man is. I'm here to bring love to you from the people of God who love you, who labor over you and the work that God is doing here and care. You know, uh, I, I'm so thankful for the families in this church that have been so kind to encourage us and, and uh, feast with us and love us and give us memories. And uh, what, a, what, a, what a great blessing. You know, God just doesn't save us from something. He saves us for something. And this fellowship divine, this communion, this foretaste of glory divine that he gives us when we are with you all, uh, what a great blessing to 
uh, go into uh, the, the Willard's home and to be welcomed in there and to eat with them at their table and to see the beautiful things that God has given them and, and, and to spend time with them, to be able to be able to spend some time with the Bouchers and, and talk about what's going on in their life. What a great gift to me. So thank you so much. I just, I'm really, really honored to be asked of God to fill a role here in your church. Every time someone sends, TJ, when someone sends somebody to our church and, and I know God is bringing them and they join, I oftentimes will get even alone with God and I, I, fear, I feel like tears welling up in my eyes because it's like God saying, here, here's something I trust you with. And, and so when God gave me you, uh, and I know I'm far away and, uh, you know, it's difficult for me to do the job that God has given me, but I take it very seriously. And so part of that seriousness is if I can't do that job uh, by loving you, if I can't love you in it, I'm not really doing a good job. So thank you for making it easy for me to love you. All right. I'm going to be preaching to you today about something that um, is really at the center of what is going on in my life and our church and hopefully uh, happening in, the, in, in your hearts as well, we can get off balance and uh, we can get, get too focused on uh, taking dominion and when we do it, we, we say it with a clenched fist and we do it with a, with, a, with a strong arm. But today I'm going to talk to you about being poor in spirit. And um, my text for you today is from Matthew chapter 5, and I know we heard it from the, our gospel reading, but I think we're going to hear it again, and I'm going to talk about it. And today also, being Palm Sunday, uh, we're going to weave that into what we're talking about today because it's perfectly suited for what God is leading us to today. Do you guys mind if we relax for a little bit and get into the Word of God and we just go somewhere today and listen for the voice of God? Matthew 5, starting in verse 1. And seeing the multitude, he went up into the mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You guys starting to see a theme here? Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Let us pray. Lord God, as I begin to open my mouth and speak, Lord, it is my greatest desire, Lord, that you would use me as an instrument. Lord, that you would pick this feeble horn up and blow it, that the music that comes from me, O oh God, would be a song from heaven. Lord, that we would begin to sing to it, O oh God. Lord God, that it would change us, O oh God, that we would march in step, Lord, with the music of heaven. In Christ's name we pray. 
Amen. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now this is not poor in spirit with a capital S. We wouldn't want to be poor in that. Amen? It's poor in spirit as in a poverty of self. Everybody say a poverty of self. Now there's quite a big difference because to be poor in spirit would be not to be filled with the spirit and we got to be filled with the spirit. But there is spirit with a capital S and there's spirit with a little s. And the spirit with a little s is the spirit that sometimes wells up inside of us and, and really is really just an extension of our flesh. It's our flesh that says, by might, I will accomplish that. They look around the world or you hear a, a politician thundering his false and insane ideologies about what will make the world a better place and something wells up inside of you and says, no, that's not right. If I could just get up in front of the people and I could tell them what's right or if I could get a hold of that guy and I could just get him by his neck and strangle him and I could just shut his mouth, then we'd get something done around here. The poor in spirit, the poverty of self is not a a, a spirit that believes that by might and by power we will be accomplishing great deeds for God. It's one that understands that it is not by might, that it is not by power, but it is by His Spirit, saith the Lord. But for Him, the Spirit to increase in us, we, the flesh, and the little s, Spirit, must decrease. We must... Uh, we, the, the wrath of man works not the righteousness of God. And when we get all welled up inside of us and clench our fists and go out and try to take on the world and fix the world, we're going to fail. Because the Bible says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Today, as you know, is Palm Sunday. And... What a fitting thing. I, I sometimes get so detached from what's going on. I don't remember what day's coming next. And, and uh, God had dealt with me what to speak, on, speak to you about. But I didn't think of it in context of what today was. And so I'm integrating into this uh, from, uh, from what the day is. And as I was doing so, I'm looking at it and I'm like, what a perfect thing to offer the people today. You see, as we celebrate Palm Sunday, we celebrate the entrance of the king into Jerusalem for his coronation. He came that day not only to begin the week of ascending the throne of our hearts as he conquered sin on the cross, but he was becoming the king of our hearts, and that day he also was beginning his conquest on earth. God's kingdom come and his will be done. Everybody say, on earth. As it is in heaven. I didn't understand this as a young man, and I, I didn't understand it at all. I found myself reading the scriptures, and there, there were things that seemed like they were conflicting, TJ. And I'll be talking to you. I always talk to people when I preach, okay? You're right there. And anybody else, I'm afraid I don't know the name, but I remember yours. Uh, or your brother Daniel, right? Uh, so, uh, I used to think that when the Bible talked about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, it was just a buzzword for one day when we go to heaven. And if you read the Bible that way, you're going to have some extremely mixed up theology. Because there's a whole lot of stuff in the Bible that talks about redemption and salvation. But then there's this other stuff. And there's this kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven. And this was Jesus' favorite sermon topic. It's what he preached on all the time. He would say... 
The kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like that. Unless this happened, a man can't see the kingdom. If this doesn't happen, a man can't go to the kingdom. And there were all these things. The, 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 the rich man, he can't enter into the kingdom. And so as I began to read and I began to uh, understand Scripture better, I began to understand that God is not saying that it's harder for rich people to get saved. That wouldn't make any sense. God saves people. Amen? For by grace are we all saved through faith. That's not of ourselves. So why would a man's circumstance make it any harder for him to go to heaven? And it doesn't. It doesn't make it any harder for him to go to heaven. It doesn't make anybody... You can come from any family. You can come from any race. You can come from any difficulty. In fact, a lot of the people that God has sent me, some people said they started at zero, you know, when they're talking about being saved. But a lot of the people that God has sent me, TJ, Daniel, those guys started at like negative 10. You know, they're not starting from square one. They're so far behind and so backwards and so uh, their families are so decimated by brokenness and ungodly and addiction. They're, they're not starting at ground zero. They're starting below deck, you know. But God doesn't just save us from where we are. And, uh, and, 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 and now the rest of life, we got to kind of keep up a good behavior up until the time. But God has given us. Uh, traction and work in the kingdom of God and he's doing something in the world and so when we look in the word of God and we see this we need to understand that there's something to do with salvation going on but there's also God is saving the world God has so loved the world that he what that he gave his only begotten son that he could do what he, he so loved the world God's going to save the world now so, so this day uh, Jesus walked on Palm Sunday. He walked from Jericho to Jerusalem. Could someone get me a glass of water? I like to drink water when I'm preaching. If there's one around here somewhere, I'd love to have it. Um, that day he walked from Jericho to Jerusalem down a road that it was known, uh, the road was called the Way of Blood uh, because it is a notorious place for bandits to ambush you. And so many people were killed that it also has, also there's a, uh, it's an ascending road. And so the picture in the word uh, of the name of it is that blood runs down. And so he's walking down this way of the blood where many were hurt and injured and uh, by thieves and, and, and killers and whatever. And he's walking up this road called the way of the blood. Walking from 850 feet below sea level at Jericho up to a height of about 2,500 uh, feet of elevation, he rose, as it were, to meet his destiny and his death. The difficult walk would be hence known uh, as the way of blood for another reason hereafter, because this walk was a walk to his death and to where his blood would be shed on Calvary. This was the same stretch of road that the Good Samaritan had stopped to help the injured traveler. And on this road is where Jesus also spent a great deal of time throughout his life. Of course, he, like the Good Samaritan of the parable, often stopped along the way to heal the sick. And once on this road, he even raised his friend Lazarus from the dead as he stopped in Bethany. This road, which represented the growth and the conquest of a nation blessed by God, started out crossing the Jordan River into the Promised Land and working its way to Jerusalem. And so we see a picture of a conquering king. If you were coming with an army, he's basically re-walking the same walk that our 
the children of Israel did when they came out of the desert and they came into the promised land. And Jesus is taking this walk and he's walking to Jerusalem because everything he does is very purposeful. He could have come from anywhere when he came to Jerusalem to offer, but he was coming to show us that what he was doing was not just a conquest uh, of, the, of, a, of the soul, which it certainly was, and it was not just a conquering of death, but Jesus was coming, the conqueror of the world. And he was not going to fail like we failed, like our brothers and sisters failed to get the Amorites and the Hittites and the Amalekites and get them out. He would not fail for he would be Lord over all the earth and one day every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It was not until many years later, many hard-fought battles, these promises would come true in Jerusalem in Christ. They came true in a man, the man uh, known, uh, David, came and when he came to Jerusalem, it was known as David's city, and he was a foreshadow, of course, a glimpse of the King of Kings. Before he started his last journey on that road toward Jerusalem, Jesus visited the home of Zacchaeus in Jericho, and there he told the wee little rich man who repented of his sins that salvation had come to his house. And as he left Jericho, a large crowd following him, Jesus stopped to hear the plaintive wails of a blind man. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me, he cried. And, and they said, you need to be quiet. You need to be quiet. But what did he do? You guys remember? He says he cried the more louder. Oh, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy upon me. And uh, he cried the louder. And Jesus called him over. And blind Bartimaeus, uh, who he was known by then, threw off his coat. I love that. And just like many would do later on the Palm Sunday, they would throw off their coats. Bartimaeus threw it off and he ran to him and Jesus healed him. Touched by his ascending king and on his way to his coronation, he would no longer be known as blind Bartimaeus. He, like so many others, uh, would be changed uh, by God and they would be able to see as well. He just became Bartimaeus after that. At the end of the road, he stopped by the house of his friends and in the greeting that uh, Brother Matt read for you today, uh, we are reminded of what a man he was. You know, his best friends were these people. And if, if you don't understand that, then you miss out on who Jesus was. He was a lover of people. He loved to fellowship and eat and to spend time. And, and uh, as our, our good brother was talking about yesterday at the table, he, 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 you know, John laid upon his breast. Could you imagine laying upon the breast, looking full face in the glory of the Son of God? What a, what a, what a, what a time it must have been. But uh, as he came to Bethany where Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead, obviously was dusty, dirty, thirsty, perhaps smelling uh, not much like the perfumes of a royal hall, John says they gave a dinner for him there and Martha served and Lazarus was one of those reclining with them at the table Mary took a pound of expensive ointment made of pure spikenard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And now the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. Her humility had made the hall royally fit, uh, like the house of a king. And she was getting to anoint him. God calls a woman to anoint the king of glory on the way to his coronation day. And she did so in a way that seemed very inauspicious of a way that seemed very unimportant, but I mean, there's nothing more descriptive of the poor in the spirit of, of somebody viewing their things as uh, 
that are most valuable, but just casting them out, that are just pouring out all over the place, and then taking her precious hair and wiping his feet with them. Can you picture this? It's like those, some of those who cast their coats were just letting the animal that will later cross it just step on them in the mud and the dirt. And what they're saying is, is that there's nothing of me that is of value but everything of you. My hair is more valuable than a towel that you might discard. She was displaying a picture of poor in spirit. It was not, why don't I get to sit in the special place? And, well, why don't I get to go in when you're going to be crowned king? Who am I going to be? Am I going to sit at your right hand and your left? Because Mary and Martha, and especially apparently Mary at the time, knew that the royal place that she would have was right there. And right there at his feet, kneeling down, something that every man will one day do, be kneeling down at the feet of Jesus. She was willingly doing, pouring out everything that she had to him. This happened to Jesus once before at the home of a hypocrite, a Pharisee, and now it was happening in the house of his friends. But yet for all the royal treatment Mary gave him, he was indeed wounded in the house of his friends. Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples who was about to betray him, said, Why is this ointment not sold for a hundred denarii and given to the poor? And he said, Not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself of what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone, that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. As he walked... Up the road, this road is between 15 and 18 miles. And as he got higher and higher, he began to come to the Mount of Olives. He would later ascend into heaven on this mountain as his disciples looked on. And and one day, as Zechariah had prophesied, he would come back. His foot would step down upon that same mountain and it would split it and divide it uh, from east to the west as he stepped from heaven He no doubt knew of the many tombs, and maybe you didn't know this, but the tombs of the prophets are there on the Mount of Olives. And he knew that Zechariah was over there laying in a tomb who had prophesied about him. And he knew, you know what he could do, Matt? He knew he could speak out. And as much as Lazarus came out of the tomb, that Zechariah would come forth. But Jesus, the living word of God, the word become flesh, as he was walking up the road to the Mount of Olives, became the word of Zechariah, made flesh. And so Zechariah lived as he walked up the Mount of Olives. And he was coming because it said in Zechariah, here's what he says. He says, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just. And having salvation lowly and riding upon an ass and upon the colt of the foal of an ass. Now don't miss it, people. Don't miss it. The king came lowly. Everybody say it with me. The king came lowly. I have learned in my time in serving God, and I was actually just trying to, I've been trying to think of chronology in my life, but I started preaching the word of God when I was, uh, it was in 1988, and um, since that time, I have learned over through a lot of hardship and a lot of failure and a lot of uh, foolishness that love comes lowly. This is this is a this is this is a uh, the linchpin of understanding what it means to be 
poor in spirit. And so Jesus came lowly so we could understand that. You see, the way that he became king wasn't the way that other men would become king. He would become king through his death, through his suffering, through his humility, and through his humiliation, through his nakedness, through his poverty. That is how he would take the world. And we want to take it a different way. We want to take it through our wealth. We want to take it through our power, our influence, our ability to change things from the top down. And Jesus teaches us that this is not the way of the kingdom. That although we'd like it to be the way of the kingdom, we would like to be able to exert down. Love comes lowly. It's love that lifts us up. It's love that will lift the world like the waters of the flood that God sent slowly lifted the ark and gently lifted it above as destruction came down. God's love will lift those to salvation whom God is saving ever so gently. Zechariah said, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the house from Jerusalem, the horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace unto the heathen. His dominion shall be from sea even to sea and from the river even to the ends of the earth. You see, this dominion of Christ would not just be Canaan land. It would not just be the homes of the twelve tribes. This dominion would be from sea to sea throughout the entire earth to the ends of the earth, as the scripture has said. Zechariah said it so plainly. As for thee also, by the blood of thy covenant, I have sent forth thy prisoners out of the pit where there is no water, descending down the Mount of Olives where he can see the temple in the distance where he will once again drive the money changers out in this week of his passion. Jesus sends out two of his disciples to go into one of Jerusalem's suburbs. And Matthew tells us here in Matthew chapter 21, he said unto them, go into the village over against and straightway you shall find an ass tied, a colt with her, loose them and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught to thee, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. You see, the Lord is not in need of a stately royal chariot that is the life that we try to offer him. But what it is he is in need of, is he in need of animals that are probably tied up and not looked at and not thought of as important. And they are what made a throne for him that carried him in. It wasn't one animal, but there were, there were coats spread over these two animals and he rode them in together on this throne. No one had ridden on them. There was a royalness to it. There was a holiness even to these animals because the holiness meant they were set apart for him. So they were set apart for Him and for His purpose. The Master had need of that like He has need of us. But what He needs of us is not for us to be rich in spirit. What He has need of us and those who take the kingdom, the warriors that are going to do conquest in the earth, will not be rich in spirit. They will be poor in spirit. He needs us to come to Him with nothing like Moses, nothing like a dead, just a dead stick in our hand. He says, what do you have in your hand? He could have. He said, "This, this, this rod, this thing, and this dead piece of wood, all oh, perfect. That's what I need. Not a lot of value, not a lot of importance. I'm sure if you found it, it wouldn't be ornate or important. But it was what he had. All this was done. It says that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, "Tell ye, daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, and the coal, the foal of an ass. Our king came." Lonely. How can we come any other way? How can we come into the earth and try to do what God is saying He will do? But how could we dare come any other way 
Are we better than He is? Are we more important than He is? Do we have more power than He had at that moment? We don't. But yet He came lowly. We don't like to come lowly, but it's how the kingdom is coming. It's how God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It won't come by might and by power. It'll come by His Spirit. The disciples went and they did as Jesus commanded them. And they brought the ass and the cold and they put on them their clothes. And they sent Him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. And others cut down branches from trees. And they laid them on the way. Can you see the lowliness of His coming? This isn't how we would have, if we would have planned the event, we wouldn't have planned the wedding for our daughter so lowly as such as that. And here he was coming in king. Now back in Matthew where I read our text, Jesus had taught what he was about to do. The riding in, to taking his throne, the inauguration of his kingdom. He had taught them what he was about to do. He lived out the lowliness, the lowliness of the kingdom. Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount was a mosaic. It was a picture of this kingdom. I encouraged our church. I said, I want, you to, I want you to just stop everything you're doing and I want you to read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. I don't want you to stop. I think it is a, it's, it's a work of art. It's a masterpiece of a picture. You guys ever seen Impressionistic art? And they're little dots, you know, and when you're close you can't quite see, but when you back up it's a glorious, beautiful picture by Manet or... Monet or Renoir, right? You guys have seen these things? I'm not trying to be pretentious. My wife introduced them. I was a hillbilly, never been to a museum. And my wife took me over there and I, I said, oh, I just see a bunch of naked people. And, and I don't really like this. You know, I'm not enjoying this. And so she took me over to the French Impressionism. And So anyway, that's what that's referring to. There's a picture. And, and this beautiful picture is not one of the dots. It's all of the dots. That's what, that's what the Sermon on the Mount is. It's helping us to get a full-orbed picture of what kingdom life is. And I, I would challenge you as a church to try this. I would challenge you, just, just set everything aside and read 5, 6, and 7 as a whole and go, God, is this what is happening here? And you might go, wow, I think we're working hard. I think we're cultivating a lot, but I don't know that we're farming these rows We might be farming other rows, but maybe not these rows. You see, there are people who are building, who are trying to establish the kingdom of God. But the Bible tells us they're building with wood, hay, and stubble. And you see, when I used to read that, I was thinking that if people didn't live right, in the end, they'd get burnt up. But that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about building. You see, the master builder builds with the right stuff. And he's he's working on the right stuff. And if you build with stuff that this building is made out of, and that's what your kingdom's being built on, this will burn. And if you build your life on the, the way of might and the way of power and the way of influence and the way of big, the way of strength and rich in spirit, you will not build the kingdom of God. And what you build here at Foothouse, it'll be forgotten. That doesn't mean you'll go to hell. That doesn't mean that, you know, somehow you get to burn in hell because you didn't exactly know what you were doing here. But what God is explaining that if you want to build on the kingdom, there is a way. And there is a warrior that does it. But this warrior isn't like the warriors you're used to. This way is not the way that you're used to. And Jesus rode in this way so lowly because he was showing us how 
to defeat our enemies. See, our enemies, they, when we fight them, they know how to do that. But when we love and we're meek and we peacemake and we're kind and we're forgiving and we're merciful, when we rejoice, when we're persecuted, something else happens. Talk about, I call it, in a sense, God's secret weapon. It's secret not because Jesus didn't tell us, but because we're afraid to talk about it. We don't like it. People don't like the message. that I'm, I haven't even got to my message yet. So just I'm telling you, just relax. If your kid's got a potty, go do it. But, but we're going to get into this just for a minute. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? Our text, as I said, introduces us to the warriors who will walk out this other conquest. They came from across uh, the Jordan, conquered Jericho. And when they did, they didn't do it through swords and spears. They just walked around quietly. Here they were living a quiet and peaceable life, you know, walking around, trusting God. And they watched God's power destroy their enemies. God so loved the world that He came to save it. These three chapters taken at once uh, define what it means to be poor in spirit. You'll read these things and you'll go, is this what our church is focusing on? Is this what our life is focusing on? Is this what we're spending our time working on? And you'll look at it and you'll go, I don't think so. We did. They set the frame for our entire three-chapter discourse. This would not make a good bumper sticker, though. I'll, I'll just tell you that. I, our line is on the move, you know, that the, the, the mission of Myanmar, commercial, commercial, register, register, right? Get in the race, raise money, right? But could you imagine, Matt, giving out a sticker, giving out a, a T-shirt for your church, poor in spirit? It's not going to sell. I can tell you right now, you're not going to make any money. Poor in spirit. What do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be poor in spirit. What is your goal in life? What do you want? I want to be poor in spirit. And, and although it sounds funny, and although nobody wants to be it, the Bible says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, how many... How many think maybe it might make a good bumper sticker? Poor in spirit. It's not a popular Christian slogan, I'm sure. Prayer Jabez might work for you better, but uh, the, the poor in spirit worked better for Jesus. It's very counter-Christian culture. Poor is not in, folks. I just want you to know. Did you guys know poor was not in? It's not in. It never has been among the children of men and in the hearts of sinners, and it never will be. But Jesus became, what did he become, guys? He became poor, that we might be rich. You think he had any trouble accumulating wealth and buying property and taking over land? Do you think he could have done that? You think Jesus could have raised us some bucks? I think so. But he didn't. We're so depraved. We're so proud. We're rich in spirit. Everybody say, we are rich in spirit. We are rich in spirit. Now, I'm not trying to condemn you all as though I don't fit in this category. I didn't come to Foothills where all you rich people live who are so rich in spirit, you know, so I can tell you. But us people in Ohio who are poor in spirit, we all have plenty of gall. Everyone in this room and in the church today and in our lives, plenty of pride, plenty of, I'll never let anyone look down on me. We are rich in spirit by nature. But we need a new nature. We need a touch of the supernatural to make us all poor in spirit. Jesus starts off this three-chapter sermon by extolling the wealth of the poor in spirit. 
And it was like a, a frame he puts around this picture that he's getting ready to draw of the kingdom. And he's saying, all right, you want to see what life in the kingdom, you want to see what life in the shire looks like, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to lay it out, but I'm going to put it in a frame for you. And he put the frame and he says, this is going to come through people that are poor in spirit. These poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, now don't miss it. This is not just another way of saying they'll be better off in the sweet by and by when they're dead. Once this life, this vapor passes their bodies like the flower and the grass and the sun. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that the poor in spirit are those. Mourning. Everybody say mourning. Mourning. Say meek. 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 Hungry and thirsty. Merciful. Merciful. Pure in heart. Peacemakers. Peacemakers. Persecuted for righteousness. Reviled of men. That's the poor in spirit. Man, I don't want to be any of those things. The Bible says if we are called of God, it says, yea, in Christ Jesus, all that are called of Him will suffer. And God calls us to a life of suffering, of pain, of death, of losing of self. And that's the way to conquer these enemies. That's the way we walk around Jericho. Quietly while God does the work. If you're all of these things I just list, you have qualified as the poor in spirit. There's nothing like this list that I just read for helping us understand our approach to kingdom life. And, and uh, if you want to have a theological argument with me later about this, uh, you're wasting your time. I won't even have it. I'll just tell you, you must be smarter than me. You must know more big words than I do. You must know more reform commentators than I do. But I really believe I have some insight into why Jesus said what he said in the Beatitudes. And you can judge for yourself if I'm right or I'm wrong. But keep it to yourself. I really don't want to hear about it. <laughs> Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed uh, kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now let's start a moment here with the mourner. It's amazing to me that God is painting a picture of the kingdom of God and He's telling us who is going to get it and how it's going to come and He starts off with a mourner. How many people like mourning? I don't. I don't enjoy it. I don't want it. I don't like it. But Bible starts out with blessed are they that mourn. Now this is a, this should be strange. If you read the Bible and, and, and you're looking into what God has said and He's picking these words, He says the mourner. He blessed is the mourner. I mean, come on. This is not where you start. This is not where you hear gunpowder. Right? Blessed are the mourner. In the house of the morning we whisper. We don't even know why we do it, but we do. We walk in and, and they just lost a family. You don't walk in and go, how you doing, Terry? Right? We walk in the house of the mourner and we're like, how you doing, Terry? We're softer when we mourn. We don't react the same when we mourn. Our whole disposition, our whole uh, self becomes gentle. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? You know, it's way different than a library. It's not just, you know, the lady over there is going to whack me with a ruler. It's, it's no one's, there's no signs that tell you to be quiet, to tell you to be gentle. But if you, if you have any sense at all, you go into the house of mourning and you're quiet. And you're gentle. What death does to us, great and small, it reminds us of how fragile life is. 
and the man, the warrior of the kingdom, he doesn't live like, you know, nothing can happen to me. He lives with the understanding that life is fragile. That I may see my good sister, but I may never see her again. That's possible. And so you treat her differently today. Death will do this to you. When, when, when you are around death and it touches you so very closely, you say to yourself, man, why did I spend that last conversation like that with them? Why, when I walked out the door, did not have... I just want to kiss you. Can I kiss this one? Mm-hmm. Little, just on the cheek real tight. Okay. Don't, say, don't say it. Let's say, let's say I lost her, okay? I would say, oh, God, I wish I had just come over and just, 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 just. Oh, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and you, you might think that I'm kidding. You might think that I'm crazy. But I'm telling you, it's what mourning does. Mourning makes you cherish the living around you. It makes you pay attention to how you treat them. It causes you to be gentle and, and instead of always being ready to, to pop up and to bow up, as they say down here in the South, to bow up like a cut worm. <laughs> it reminds us how it will end for all of those around us. It will end for us too. Death makes us whisperers. No one has to tell us to be quiet among the dead. We whisper because we are poor in spirit at that moment. We feel puny. All of a sudden we're face to face with our mortality and with the mortality of those that we love. And we're just, oh Lord, I just want to keep them. We're faced with our weakness and the sureness of our death, the insecurity of our life. Our pride is squashed, not by us, but for us. Somebody dies. God squashes it for us and we're like, we're too foolish to see it for ourselves and our blindness in the richness of our spirit. But death suddenly pushes us to the ground with his dark hand and suddenly we're poor in spirit. That's why the proverb is so true to remind us that there is much more to learn in the house of mourning than in the house of myrrh. How many of you have known those whose conversion starts when the death of someone close comes to them and they start talking about it. Next thing you know, they, they see the, the, this and they just go, you know, I might need to think about what I'm doing in my life. Anybody know anybody like this? That's what death does. That's what this morning is all about. This is not about, oh, people are sad, but one day they're going to be happy. No, this he's talking about the blessedness of what happens to us when we mourn. God's not wanting us to go around sad like mourners. But he's wanting us to be gentle and kind and loving and cherish life. That's what he wants. Because there's comfort when the kingdom comes. And God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. So let us begin our conversation from rich in spirit to poor in spirit. Our conversion. Let us, let us all, I said, com, our, our, let us begin our conversion. How many want to be converted? I do. From, from rich in spirit to be poor in spirit. Let us find ourselves humbled under the mighty hand of God. He comes in verse 5 and he says, blessed are the meek. I'm saying, you're t- you, you know, he's talking about kingdom conquest, Matt. He starts with mourners and now he goes to the meek. I mean, seriously? They shall inherit the earth. 
I mean, if you think of anyone inheriting the earth, it isn't going to be the meek. They don't inherit. They get stepped on. They get walked over. They get pushed aside. You've got to assert yourself to have what your place in this world, right? That's the way we think. That's the what we like. We're not going to let people walk on us. We're not going to let people disrespect us. God says, why not? Who are you? You the king of all the earth? They go, oh, I'm the king's kid. Well, you're not the king. He's king. And there's something powerful about a meekness that understands that he is the king. That says, yeah, you can step on me. And yep, I can be a little step stool, but I know someone who could stop all that anytime he wanted. This must be what he wants. He's restating his first words, and, but he's teaching us a little more. The meek are the poor in spirit that will be, that will be part of the kingdom of heaven. But, but where is the kingdom of heaven? Jesus taught us about this, and he taught us how we should pray. I think it's amazing. There's a little short prayer that Jesus offered up. It was kingdom-focused. He prays, and in it he says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. And as I read that, it's like, that's hard to even comprehend, but that's what kingdom life is. It's about God's will being done on earth. Everybody say, on earth. earth. As it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So this conquest of planet earth, this saving of the world is coming through the warriors who are poor in spirit, but it's going to happen here on earth. Can you imagine it? Can you imagine the day that the, the, that, that, that every knee is bowing and tongue are confessing and, and the world is a different place than it is today. I, I, man, I just want to see it. I want to live to see that. He restarts his first, he restates his first statement for interest, interest, but then he moves on to the hungry and the thirsty. Now, if you think mourning is bad and you think being meek is lowly, he now introduces people that are hungry and thirsty after righteousness. But I think he's also invoking another lowliness too. Buddy, I, I mean, I've never lived a life, I've never had hunger, not real hunger. I've never had a real thirst. I've never been in danger of, you know, if I don't get some water, I may die. Or I'm so hungry, you know. But I'm telling you, people in his day, and there are people all over the earth, a lot of them, who know what hunger is. Hunger. Hunger makes, hunger brings great clarity to what's important. When you're starving to death, your priorities change. All that you were going to do, all that you thought you could do, all the strength you thought you had... Is, is dialed down, 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 and you're focused, right? There's a focus that comes on what? What are you going to be doing, Ken? What are you going to be seeking? If you're about to starve to death, what's your focus on? All right, is it on changing the monetary system over to the gold standard? It is not. You're like, hey, you can't eat gold, right? You know, you could be in, a, in, a, in one of those big deals with like 30 tons of gold in a thing and be like, you know, all that's important, but I'd trade it all. If I had a bowl of beans. You can make fun of old uh, Jacob if you want to or whatever about all that. But so, all right, I'm sorry. I, I, I make bad story biblical references sometimes and she gives me that eye. So anyhow, <laughs> Esau. So hunger does this to us. We, we got to get our priorities in order and hunger does that for us. You know, 
But the Bible says that we should be that the poor in spirit are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. Are we, are we at the point of, of, of understanding that it is, it's our survival is at stake? That, that to want it, the will of God is our food? To do what God wants us, or are we like, well, you know, we'll get to that. Well, God will sanctify us over time and we'll be fine. You see, a hungry man doesn't have time to talk about it and muse about it and read commentaries about it. A hungry man's got to have food. And so he goes with a singularity of purpose and, and a clarity of priority in mind. And he's like, i got to have that. There is a leanness of soul. There is a starving to death among the people of God in our nation today. And maybe even in your own life where you're, you're like, well, I'd like to be better. But you're not hungering and thirsting after righteousness and saying, I want it. I want it more than uh, food and water. I, I need, I know I've got to have this. And, and, and I'm telling you, you put meekness and you put mourning and you put hungering and thirsting. And all of a sudden, Matt, there's this picture of the kind of person that God makes people who become warriors in the kingdom. And I'm telling you, those people are people who are hungry and they're thirsty. And he says, why, why, why blessed are the hunger, they that hunger and thirst after righteousness? Why? They shall be, they shall be filled. Now see, you've got your Hebrew cosmetology joking around over there. Hungering and thirsting after righteousness. When you do that, you can be filled. And I'm not, I don't know you, sweetheart. I'm sure you're a wonderful gal. But what I'm saying is, is we can have an emphasis that sends us one direction way away from God because it's something we can do, something we can solve. But there is a hunger and thirsting that we need to pray for. Say, oh God, make me want to serve you. Make me want to do what's right. May, may it be my food. That's why they fasted. That's why they would go for 40 days out in the wilderness. They had to be reminded. He said that thou mayest know. That man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He said, thy words were found. And when I found them, I did eat them. And thy words became unto me the joy and rejoicing of my soul. I, I want thy word. I love thy word more than I want my necessary food. Hunger and thirst drives a man or a woman to extremes. Have we been driven to extremes in our pursuit of righteousness like we would if we were dying of thirst? I don't know. I think we've been driven to extremes in other ways to have other things, to focus on things that are just going to burn and melt away. But if I'm going to be one who builds the kingdom, I want to be a guy who's hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Verse 7 says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. You know, as a parent... Part of me thinks the last thing I better be is merciful because they'll run over me like a bunch of ravenous wolves. You guys ever feel this way? How many have ever thought about your kids? Like, like if you had one of them big iron pots like they have in the African cartoons, you know, where they put the people in it and they dance around it and there's a fire under it. I have, I have thought that. I've called home and that's, I'm like, that's my wife. She's in the pot. The children are running around her. The fire, and she, they're cooking her alive, you know. That you can't be meek, honey, and you can't be merciful. Crack the whip. Bring the hammer down. Right? Preach it with me. But there is a... But, but he says, Blessed are the mercifuls, for they shall obtain mercy. And so this person, this poor of spirit, is someone who is merciful. 
If, if when you hear about a brother or sister having a difficult time in their marriage or their life or their finances or whatever, if the first thing that comes out of your mind says, well, and you got some poignant advice for how they couldn't have got in their tribulation, you're rich in spirit, brother. Oh, you're doing good, aren't you? Oh, you wouldn't get in that situation, would you, Daniel? I mean, you, you know to save so much money and put it away for a rainy day. You know, Dr. Barman, and you know all what it is. And aren't you thankful you're not like that guy over there? I mean, I'm telling you, the, the, we, we are so ready to correct and to hurt and to tell people the right way to do things. And I'm telling you, that's not the way of the kingdom. We can become reformed. You were telling me, Brother Ware, about how he said, man, the worst thing that happened when I became reformed is everybody became an idiot. <laughs> I, said, I said, that's right. Five minutes ago, you were an idiot, but now you can't believe that they're a bunch of idiots, you know? Five minutes ago, you know? Five minutes ago in God's time. You now know everything, and they're all a bunch of idiots. This is, this is our temptation, and it is not the character of the man who is poor in spirit. The man who is poor in spirit, here's some theology discussed, and and, and not that he doesn't care about it. Not that he doesn't want to have things right. Not, not that he doesn't want to put it in an understandable system, systemology, right? Is that how I'd say it, sister systemology? <laughs> sister cosmology, whatever. But we got to love to be merciful more than anything. we got to learn to be kind and, and gentle and, and, and go, man, you know what, I was probably worse off than them. And, and just help them and just love them. Don't find people in the midst of their need and have a talk with them how they got there. And, and help them first. Love them first. Get them up on their feet. Let them walk around for a minute and then sit with them and gently, gently tell them how bad you did it until they finally figure out what you're saying. And they, oh, well, hey, yeah, okay, I got it now. See, the people in the kingdom of God, we're not worried about being tread upon. We are here to be tread upon. I read the autobiography of uh, William Bradford, and he said, you know what, if we could be but stepping stones for the advancement of the gospel of Christ, it would be worth it all. It would be to God we were kingdom-minded like William Bradford. And they came, they came to a nation, they started, they did it, and they built it right. What? Because he knew he, his back was like the coats that they laid down for Jesus to walk on. Just walk on me to the next place. We don't like to be walked on. We say, we like Texas, right? Don't tread on me. Tell me, because we're poor. We're, instead of being poor in spirit, we're rich in spirit instead. Do you have little stomach for seeing others punished under God's judgment, or do you look at it and go, yeah, it's about time God brought them down, these bunch of people out there. Jonah was not poor in spirit. He looked at them and he's like, I'm ready for God to kill these people. You know what? I've had so much of these stinking Ninevites. God, I just want God to kill them. He was not poor in spirit. I was telling uh, Jonah the other day, I was talking to him on the phone, don't be a Jonah. He told me he thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> I'm telling you, don't be a Jonah. God's sending you over there. I don't want to, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. They might repent. They deserve it. I can't wait till God smears the earth from these Democrats or these whatever they are, or this party that, or if he, and I know there's, I know you can even read in the Psalms, David is, David's welling up and I know these imprecatory things and I, I'm telling there's something about me that just wants to kick them all in the head. You know what Jesus did? Jesus kicked his own people. Judgment begins at the house of God. 
But we are called, if we're going to conquer them, you see, we want, we want judgment to begin at their house. And judgment needs to begin at our house. We're hard on everybody else's kids, and it should cause us to be hard on our own instead. We're hard on everyone else's sin, and it should call us to turn and be hard on ourselves. Blessed are the merciful. Jonah had lots of pride. He was proud. He was filled with desire to see the Ninevites pay. We can enjoy the downfall of others. We can watch action adventure movies, war movies. Something has happened to me in my old age. I, I love to watch action adventure movies, but now... When they go and like they take the facility and they shoot like 20 guys that are guarding the place, I'm like going, they probably got little kids. <laughs> Maybe their wife was expecting them home for dinner. I mean, they're not coming now, I guess. You know? And it moves from the, from, the, from the fantasy really to the real. As God begins to saturate your heart, and I know, I'm, you know, blow them up, shoot them up, fun movies, whatever. <laughs> but that's in it. See, that, that cultivates our our richness of spirit. We like that. We like we love to watch revenge, getting back, squashing down. We love it. Dehumanization. Yes, God will destroy the wicked, but it should be our hope that no one is wicked. We should rejoice. We should not we should rejoice when anyone, any people repent. When we find it hard to do that, we are not poor in spirit. The look of disdain that comes over us just thinking about God forgiving them. We've crossed the line. There's a fine line here, but I think that we understand what it means to be poor in spirit. So then he says in verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We know what this means. It means to be childlike, but we all instead want to be grown-ups. Except you become as a little child. We look at people in our church and we despise their naivety we find it hard to believe when people think the best of others when they refuse to believe for the good matt there was something i was going to say to you and 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 uh earlier today and i think i'm gonna say it to you now and i think i want to i want to do this there was just came on my mind and this this no rule for anybody but let's think about this you know there's a lot of things we want to do we want to we want to give our body to be burned don't we we want to move mountains we want to do all that stuff, great stuff. And I'm thinking, man, if I could just read every single day, 1 Corinthians 13, wonder what kind of a different day I would have. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but I have not charity. I'm nothing. Though I understand all wisdom and all mysteries, and, you know, right, he goes to the thing, he said, I've done nothing. You see, if we don't have the lowliness that that is love. You see, love comes lowly. Love comes gently. Love comes softly. Love comes mercifully. When we don't come in love, brother, we don't, we don't show our people, we don't love our people, we don't help our people. And I'm thinking, Matt, come on, me and you, maybe we'll, it, it's only just a few verses. What if we read that every day? Just every day as we got up, and, and it would be the thing that framed us. Love, Right? Believeth all things and hopeth all things, right? Love doesn't vaunt itself. It's not puffed up. It's not easily provoked. I mean, come on. That's what we need a dose of. To be low, to be poor in spirit. And then we get to peacemakers in verse 9. Now, if you haven't done any peacemaking, you're not going to know. You'll be thinking, oh, well, what's that all about? If you've done some peacemaking, you know how dangerous it is. Peacemaking is very dangerous. 
taking neither side is always the way we kind of want to go, but peacemakers get hurt. They get in the middle where the blows are happening. Most people would rather stay out of it. It's dirty business at its heart. The peacemaker, though, what he does is he surrenders his own peace. He could be at home in his peaceful home enjoying himself, enjoying the loveliness that God has given him. But what does he do? He steps right up and he steps right between these guys and they're at it and they're at it and they're at it. And what he does is this guy's going to hit him and this guy's going to hit him and he might knock his tooth out. And in the end, both of these guys might eat his guts. If you haven't done any peacemaking, you don't know that's what peacemaking, that's the cost of peacemaking. But the peacemaker, you know what he says? He says, you know, I, these, I esteem these men better than myself. I want them to love each other. And if I get my tooth knocked out in the process or I get hurt in the middle, it's nothing. It's nothing. I'm nobody. You see, the peacemaker doesn't see himself as important that he's going to get hurt. And I'm telling you, you get into church situations and you set people down and you get into families that are fighting and you're just, it's, it's, it, you, if, you're, if you're not terrified when you go into it, you're not smart. Because it'll hurt you. Peacemaking is a losing of your life. Where you can find beautiful peace where there was division. But just as likely, you're liable to make things worse and they're liable to hurt you. In Myanmar this year, this young man got up. We have him ask questions, you know. And, and uh, his childlikeness really kind of caught me off guard. And I just want to share it with you. He stood up and it took us a long time to figure out what he was saying. But he raised his hand and his Burminglish way he was trying to use his English, you know, and, and uh, he said this, he goes, I want to be called a child of God, because that's what it says, peacemakers shall be called what? Children of God. He goes, but what if when I try to make peace, I can't make peace? He says, does that mean I can't be a children of God? He goes, because I tried many times, and I failed. And I'm like, oh, brother, I wanted to go over and squeeze him. Oh, no, 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 don't quit. No, no, I'm not saying you've got to succeed. Peacemaking is not about success. It's about, it's about trying. It's about it's inserting yourself into yucky situations and trying to help. Why? Because you love those people. Oh, now, I don't want to get between you guys. I mean, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, I do. That's what, that's what, that, I'm tell, what I'm telling you is the power of the kingdom. The power of the kingdom is in these little, gentle, delicate things. Meekness, you know, peacemaking, merciful, mourning, hunger. See, all these things, they sound so weak, don't they? But they're not. They are the power that God gives the warriors of the kingdom. Blessed are they that are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus keeps talking about the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, because that's what he's getting ready for three chapters to describe for us, how to live in the kingdom. You got, could, if you guys could this week, anybody, anybody read 5, 6, and 7 just all together? Anybody want to do it? Do it. Get a picture of it. Maybe send a note saying, hey, Pastor Mark, I, I read that, and wow, I'm glad I did. Man, I want my life to be like that. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. There is little that will humble a man or a woman any more than persecution. Being talked about as though that we're evil, but instead we have the purest of intentions can be very, very painful. 
trying to do what's right, you know. I was just trying to do what was right. And it can really, really, it can really gentle you down. It can really, really, you're like, wow, I was just, I was just trying to help. Man, I was, I was trying to help Clayton, and that next thing you know, he's hating on me. And <laughs> They're like, yeah, you're all about you, man. And I'm just going, but I, but I wasn't, <laughs> you know. Being accused is one thing, because most of us, you know, I broke windows and wrecked cars, and I did all kinds of horrible things, you know. But, but, but when you didn't do it and you did right, do you guys know what I'm talking about? That's a different thing, you know. The church presbytery comes in and they get a hold of you and, you know, and you've done right. And they bring you up and they say you were wrong. And you're just like, there's something that it does to you. I don't know. What is God doing to me? He's giving us these pictures of weakness over and over and over. Can you see these things? You're persecuted. He didn't just say persecuted. He says persecuted for righteousness sake. It's a sobering thing to see people protect themselves and not stand up for you. To watch as you see what life really means. Only God stands with you in this life. Men are more often than not, will not. Loyalty is rare. And it is worth taking a risk for others. People will not. And this kind of rounds out our list here. By now I think everyone here knows what it means a little bit better. Do we not? About what it means to be poor in spirit. You might not enjoy the journey I have taken you, but you can understand what Jesus is saying. There is an attitude of poverty, of understanding how little we have to offer God and others. How fragile life is, how low we really are, how much we deserve God's judgment, and how alone He, we will be with Him when we stand before Him. This is what I call the attitude of the Beatitudes. It is our approach to a way of living that is talked about in the Sermon on the Mount. Life in the kingdom starts with being poor in spirit and that leads us to a wealth beyond an earthly kingdom. And Before we can be rich, we must first become poor in spirit. Like Christ, we must become poor that others might be rich. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. The whole event of the coming of Jesus at Palm Sunday was this kind of an event. It was an object lesson that I'm sure we can see the point of. He came as a king, but how did he come, guys? Everybody say, he came lowly. We come as warriors in this kingdom, royal blood of our king, but we come like him. Let everybody say, love comes lowly. He comes as a king, but he comes lowly. He came lowly that one day he would come on the Mount of Olives, not lowly anymore. When he comes again and he comes there, he will not come lowly. He will come in power and triumph to judge the living and the dead. Amen. He came from Jericho to Jerusalem to bring conquest of that land. And so must we go throughout the world. All power is given unto him. So we go into all the world preaching the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe whatsoever things he has commanded. And lo, he will be with us even unto the end of the earth. Oh, yeah. That's the gunpowder. 
when he comes and he steps on the Mount of Olives, that's the gunpowder. Everything else is just coming along and carrying, carrying his train. Let us pray. Oh God, make us poor in spirit today because every one of us wants the kingdom of heaven. Lord, we don't want to be left out. We don't want to be building and building and building only to see all of our work be wasted away and crumble to nothing. But let us build with precious things. And Lord, there could be nothing more precious than the fruit that flows out of us through your spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Lord, these don't seem like powerful weapons, but that's the deception of, that the enemy has put on us, that, that we need strength. And God says, oh, in your weakness, my strength is perfected. God, perfect your strength in us. May we be warriors in your kingdom. And may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.